This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. go back, I want to say 11 years, summer of 2010, was that our first summer, Sandy, when we were starting? Okay, so summer 2010, July 4th, I gave a message. It's weird because typically I wouldn't remember the date of a message, but this particular message, uh, I remember the date, uh, even though I had to remember the year, Uh, and that is, it was called Immovable, and so you can go back into the archives of Uh, Ellerslie lore and dig that one up. And the reason I remember it is because I made a rather bold statement in the midst of that message. Uh, And I was reading Matthew 7 about uh, the wise man who builds his house upon the rock, the foolish guy who builds his house upon the sand. And I I shouted something out very uh, loudly. we will not be moved. It was a big statement. It was back in the days when I, I, I was still learning how to harness this lava uh, inside of me. And so it would come out and some people would say, that guy yells. I'm like, I do not yell. And then I would hear an old sermon of me. It's like, wow, he's yelling. So I understand it why everyone was saying I yell. Uh, and however, it wasn't because I was trying to yell. I was just very passionate. It was just sounded. And some people thought I was mean, you know, because I was so loud. And so there's, a, there's an old audio called Ancient War Cry. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that one, but it scares me when it first comes on. Where's our war cry? And it's like, whoa, settle this guy down. Whoa, that's me? So sorry, all of you that have been scared by Eric Ludi at some point, uh, juncture in your life. Uh, but I made this big statement of we will not be moved. Okay, and it was a big statement. If winds and rains come beating against our life, we will not be moved. We're Christians. And so after making this big statement, uh, July 4th, the the students were going to be coming over to our house that night for fireworks, which is a tradition at Ellerslie. In our backyard, it overlooks uh, Windsor Lake, and it's it's a beautiful spot for fireworks. And uh, we had a rainstorm unlike any rainstorm I had ever seen before uh, in Windsor. What day is this? It's the day that I make a statement about when winds and rains beat against our house, we will not be moved. Well, this rain came down so intensely that it literally filled up our window wells. I have never seen such rain. It was this flash flood uh, rain that was unheard of in this arid climate known as Colorado. And I still remember being in Harper's room and seeing the window well fill up, and it was seeping around the window frame and cascading in like Niagara Falls. And so I had these bins, these plastic bins I was trying to catch the water in because I wasn't that excited about water just being all over my basement, right? And so I'm catching it, and I'm bringing it to the tub and trying to throw it in the tub, and I could not stay ahead of it. And pretty soon, I mean, we're up to about six inches at the bottom of the room. I'm like, I have... No answer for this. This is, but then I have this vague recollection of we will not be moved that I'd said earlier. And I felt, just to be honest, I felt a bit moved. Okay, I don't know how else to say it, but I felt a bit moved. Whatever moved feels like, I felt it. Because I was thinking, you know, my floor is ruined. Okay, that shakes you at a little bit. 
I'm thinking about all the trim around the, in the, in the drywall, and I'm thinking about all the repairs that are going to be needed. I was just a little moved, okay? I'm just going to be honest. And I felt like I didn't pass the test, right? So, and I was a little skittish of bringing this up, you know, in the church, because I didn't really want to talk about it. It was just, okay, it happened. That was weird. So, I don't know, maybe a month passes, and I get up the guts to sort of push back. It's like, you know what? That really bothers me. I am not going to be moved by these things. And so I get up and I, I share the message and I, I reference July 4th. And I say, okay, here's what I said. And then this happened. All right, really strange, right? But I felt like I was a little moved and no, I'm going to be rock solid on this point. And so I made another statement, you know, something like, I will not be moved. <clears throat> and that day we had a flash flood and my basement flooded. And I'm dead serious, this happened, okay? There's quite a few witnesses in here to the fact that this did happen. It's one of the strangest things I've ever gone through, right? I give this message, you know, and I'm loud about it, and then my basement floods, and then I get up the guts to do it again, and my basement floods? So I don't know how long you would wait to preach on that again if this happened to you, but I don't know, a couple weeks, a month, I decided I'm gonna do it again. And so I referenced the first two situations, and uh, I should have thought this through before I left for uh, church that day, but we had just moved our laundry room to a different spot in the house, and the guy the day before had said, yeah, it's ready to be used. And I hadn't done anything, but I started the, uh, the washer before I walked out of the house that morning. And some of you were thinking, what were you thinking? You know, don't you know what you're going to preach on today? <laughs> but I didn't think that through, and that's part of the humor of the story is the discharge, you know, that takes all the washing machine water and, you know, sticks it down the drain. The guy hadn't put it in the drain. He had left it underneath the unit. And so I start the thing, and it has all the water coming in, but when it empties, it spreads all across our upstairs and sinks into our basement. So I get up the guts after, you know, this is a few months in, right, to make my statement afresh. I will not be moved. And <clears throat> we have a flood in the Ludi house. Three straight times. Now, even though you may not believe this, and you might think with your incredulity, it's like this is impossible, right? Even the three. This happened six straight times in that year. Six. Six. <laughs> and I, for me, I still remember, uh, you know, this final time when we had this flash flood. And first of all, Colorado doesn't get that much moisture. I have never seen so much moisture. Most of you should be like, Eric, could you go on a series of teaching about immovable again? Because we need some water in this, in this state. It was so utterly bizarre. But I remember standing outside in our arid climate and watching this rain come down and I started to chuckle. It's like, this is so ridiculous. And I had, if you see our back patio, we have this back patio and it's just tons of stamped concrete. It goes way out. And you'd be like, why do you have so much of that? Well, because we had a negative drain all the way to our house. The only way to fix that, because that's why we were getting so much flooding in our basement with this rain. So I had to literally put concrete way out. I mean, it's like a 22-foot uh, concrete pad on our back patio. It's nice, uh, but that wouldn't have been my uh, ideal uh, in, in the original. But uh, 
I still remember staying out there when the concrete pad wasn't there, and I'm watching all this water go back. I'm trying to catch water in those same bins. Remember the bins that never work? And carry it out into the field and dump it and then come back and grab it because it is like cascading right towards my house, and I can't stop it, and I've already fixed my basement flooring, what, twice? I mean, Josh, you were a part of fixing my floor, so you're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe it was four times. It just felt like forever I kept replacing this stuff. I mean, how many times am I supposed to replace my floor in my basement? And but I remember shouting up to the heavenlies, whoever wanted to listen, I will not be moved. Loudest voice I could come up with. I figured the rain would cover it and all the neighbors wouldn't hear it anyways. You see, that process that I walked through was very, very significant for me. It's almost like, in, in scriptures, it's called the fire, fiery trial or the test of our faith. We can make bold statements in our Christian life, but do we really mean them? And the only way to figure that out is to be tested. And here's what I can say. I don't like having my basement flood, okay? I, I really don't. There's nothing about it that is attractive to me. But I do know that a basement flooded is not the end of the world. And there's no reason to be moved by it. And when you finally land on that, it really helps when your world can be shaken and you don't shake with it. One of my mental pictures or metaphors for peace that I've used over the years is one of those like you're an archeological uh, uh, archaeologist and you're digging up in some site and you find this like old, in, you know, this insect that's like caught in a block of resin. And it's like one of those amber resin blocks and this, you know, bug is inside of it. Uh, and he's just caught. At some point in history, he just got caught like that. And you take that bl resin block out and you take a sledgehammer and you hit it and it bounces all over the room. And then you check the insect and he's in the exact same spot. You see, he's not moved even though his circumstances are all over the place. And I want to point at that block of resin and put us inside of it and say, there's Christianity. It doesn't matter what is happening in our life. It doesn't matter what sledgehammer is hitting us. We have resin. It's known as grace. And it is sufficient to the task to hold our soul in place, to hold our mind in place so that we will not be moved forever. You see, that's the promise of Scripture, but most of us feel very moved. In fact, it's almost sad when you look at what's going on around the world, and then you look at your circumstances, which are so pathetically less challenging than what some people are facing right now, and you feel totally moved. You're like, uh, God, I'm, why am I being moved by that? And so, that's where the message that I'm about to give comes in. There is something that we dream of, and it's, it's, it's like in a different sector of our life, because if I were to say, what are your dreams? You wouldn't think of what I'm about to say. What are your dreams? You'd usually think about some kind of ambition that you have to you know, become a musician, or you know, I'd really like to go over to China someday. I'd really like to write a book. Okay, we have these dreams, but that's not the sort of dreams I'm talking about. I'm talking about a deeper level of dream that almost you have excluded as a possibility. No, no, I can't go there. I can't dream that. That doesn't exist. And so why would I dream for something that is impossible anyways? It's sort of like dreaming that you could fly with your arms. 
It's like, you know what, I, I've given up on that dream a long time ago, even though I think all of us, if I started saying it, we'd be like, you can? You can do that? Or how about to breathe underwater? It's like, oh, wouldn't that be cool without one of those things attached to you? And it, I mean, well, that would be great. That's my vision of heaven. When my mom would say, Eric, what do you think heaven's going to be like? She used to always ask that question when I was growing up, and I loved that conversation. And I always say, I'd have a stack of white drawing paper that would never run out because I used to always love to draw. And then you'd always run out of papers like, mommy, we're out of paper again. Okay, honey, next time I go to the store, maybe we can get some. And then we'd you know, forget 10 straight times and I'd wait for this white drawing paper. But in heaven, it will never run out. And then I could fly in heaven. That was my dream. I could explore caves in heaven, you know, because your parents are always like, no, don't go in there, you know, when you're growing up. But in heaven, it's safe, right? And then I could breathe underwater. Those were my dreams, right? So that's, that's a level of dreaming that we, I'm not talking about either, because that falls into the, you know, the, the category of, well, that's not going to happen anyways. And what I want to, as far as what this message says, when the soul dreams, it's not just like when your mind dreams, but when, when your soul dreams, what does it dream for? What does it dream of? I'm going to give a, a list as we go. And I think you'll find it extremely fascinating that it does match all of us. All of us long for that, but we've, in many ways, sort of like flying and swimming underwater, you know, without with being able to breathe underwater, we've excluded it as a possibility. It's like, well, it's impossible. Proverbs 30, 24 and 26. There are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The conies... Some translations say rock badgers, but I like conies. I think it's intriguing. The conies are a feeble folk. You see, not every translation calls them a feeble folk, but I like that too. The conies are a feeble folk. For some reason, I don't know what that feels like. Sounds like an old, you know, bluegrass song. Uh, the conies are a feeble folk. Uh, yet they make their houses in the rocks. It's such an obscure statement, it, it, but it stands out to my soul. You see, we are like conies. We're like rock badgers. The Bible will describe us as a feeble folk. <laughs> we don't really like that. I, don't call me a feeble folk. You take that back. But the Bible is very clear. You, in and of yourself, can't do it. Apart from God, you can do nothing, in fact. You're a coney. Hey, would you call me? You see, the Bible loves, is expression of love to us, and it wants us to know that we need to become exceedingly wise, <laughs> like the conies. You see, these creatures, it mentions a spider, it mentions an ant, it mentions a locust as well, along with the coney. But these are exceedingly wise creatures that have to use their noggin uh, to make it. Otherwise, they're going to be squished under someone's boot. And so I remember even the statement about the spider, you know, that they live in king's palaces. It's like, yeah, how did they get there? Well, that's sort of like us. You see, there's a wisdom that God wants us to apply. We need to accept the fact that we are weak, that we are a feeble folk. It's okay. It's not a problem. It's not a put down, actually. But our secret is where we build our house. They build their house in the rocks. And that's what makes them exceedingly wise. So when the soul dreams, it is. So just see if you identify with these things. It is unshakable. 
It's like if you were to touch your soul and say, so how would you like to be unshakable? No matter what hits your life, you just stand firm. Oh, it's very attractive to the soul. It is immovable. It is undisturbable. Could you imagine having a soul that when you hear, have you ever noticed that in the last while, we have not had any good news shared with us? If you listen to the news, it'd be really fascinating if we could even gather up five things that have happened in the last year and a half that would it all be encouraging. I mean, give me encouragement. We crave encouragement. But could you imagine if no encouragement came and you were undisturbed by that? Wouldn't that be nice? You wouldn't have to have good news to be undisturbed, but you would just be rock solid, unfrettable, fearless, impervious to anxiety. Could you imagine anxiety is trying to land on you and it just bounces off? It's like, ha, it can't land. It's like water off a duck's back. It just sort of bubbles up and drips off. You see, you have a coating, a Teflon coating around you that anxiety can't get through. See, this is what the soul dreams of. If you were to allow your soul to dream, that's definitely gonna make the list untouchable impenetrable, immune to foreboding, resistant to anxiety, indifferent to evil tidings, unruffled by criticism, heedless to false accusation, oblivious to public opinion polls. Whoa, what a list. So maybe it's just my soul that really likes that list, but my guess is that every single one of us would love to have that in our life. We would love, if there's a package, it's like, okay, what does it cost for me to get that? Isn't it funny that the things of the kingdom of heaven don't come with a price tag? You couldn't buy it. It'd be far too expensive for you. However, there is good news. And that is that you, though you can't afford this, it has been supplied to you. But wouldn't it be strange if you keep having the enemy come up to you and bop you in the nose, and then God's like saying, hey, I've given you weapons to deal with that, and, you, and then you get bopped again, and you're like, God, why, why? And God's like, uh, I gave you weaponry. It's sitting at your ankle right now. It's a broadsword of the Spirit. And if you would use that grip I gave you and grab a hold of the hilt and just lift it up, even if you're not that good at swinging it, it'll scare the enemy. He just needs to see that you understand what you've been given. And then you can get better at swinging it over the years. However, pick it up. We have been gifted something. But do we even recognize that? When the soul dreams, so this is a good summary of it. It dreams of a house in the rocks. That's what it dreams of. It dreams of being in a fortress. I use this illustration with the students uh, I don't know, last week or the week before, that when you are in a well-built house and Christmas time comes, now this is a very North American thing. You know, for all the Australians that are listening, they don't fully get why we want to have a white Christmas, right? However, if you're in a well-built house, you want five feet of snow on Christmas morning. I mean, it's just a weird thing. You don't typically maybe want five feet of snow, you know, if you're having to drive around that day, but hey, Five feet of snow, but that's a terrible thing. If you're living in a tent, could you imagine what five feet of snow would do to you? But if you have a house, if your house is built, quote unquote, as the Coney's would say it, in the rocks, 
Well, then guess what? You recognize that those five feet of snow actually become beautiful to you as opposed to a danger to you. Welcome to Christianity. The world could be falling to pieces out there, and you could be singing White Christmas because you know that God turns everything the enemy means for evil, and he converts it and turns it on its head into good for those that, are, those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He takes that which once would have been a disaster if you were a tent dweller and you were living out in the open and the gusting winds and the, and the freezing cold were coming upon you. It would have been terrible. It could have even potentially killed you. But now you are in the refuge known as Jesus Christ. And as a result, you do not fear that. And you will not be moved like the rest of the world is. In fact, you can be hospitable and bring other people into your strength. Christianity. However, most of us still almost function like tent dwellers, even though we have a home in the rocks. We need to become exceedingly wise like the conies. Remember that feeble folk? Are you built on rock? One of the statements that Leslie and I have used, it's not really novel or inventive, but we have oftentimes said we need rock beneath our feet. And what we mean by that is we're going through a challenge, the enemy's hitting us, and we recognize that we're starting to move. We're like, well, no, no, we don't move as Christians. So what's going on? What's going on is that we are on sand instead of rock, because when you're on rock, you don't move. When you have a clear perspective and you understand that you are in a house and that snow cannot impact you in here, that even if it's negative 10 degrees outside and you, know, you turn on the news, and they're like, yes, and it's negative 10 degrees, and you're like, okay, I'm having a tough time breathing, okay, where's the paper bag? Why, why? You're in a house. If you know the truth and you know that you're built on a rock, you do not fear the negative 10 degrees outside. However, if you don't know that you're in the house, guess what? That news, that bad news of the negative temperatures actually impacts you and it shakes your soul. And that is why we need rock beneath our feet. So Leslie and I will go through the scriptures and start digging up all the rock. <laughs> We're saying, okay, what do we know is true? What do we stand on in this time? And that's been a secret to us so many times over, over the past uh, decades. Are you built on rock? Do you feel movable right now? Where, and most of us, we don't even need to even ask much or prod much, it's like, have you been movable over the past weeks would be enough of a question just right there. Because many of us feel very unstable right now in this world. And yet, are you unstable? If you're a believer, what's the truth? Are you unstable? You may, there's all sorts of feelings in this life. But if you allow your feelings to define your perspective, you're in danger. But if you go to the word of God and say what is true, you stand strong. So I, I've received a lot of communication and over these past weeks in regards to, last week, just to give you a heads up for those of you that weren't here, I gave a message called The Vaccine Dilemma Part Two. And 
I highly encourage people to listen to that because it's not what you would expect. I'm not trying to tell you how to handle the vaccine. That is the last thing I want to do is splinter the body of Christ. What I want is keep us together because we have people in here that feel completely comfortable in their conscience you know, getting the vaccine and we have others that feel in their conscience they can't get it. Then we have others that fear uh, the vaccine uh, and fear that it would, it would destroy them if they take it. And then we have others that fear uh, the COVID-19 and if they don't get the vaccine, they'll die. You know, so we have fear as a controlling factor. We have preference as a controlling factor and we have conviction or conscience that is a controlling factor. And some of us have it all gooped together and we can't see the difference between them. We should never be ruled by fear. If fear is there, it has no governing authority over our lives. We never make decisions out of fear. Preference, that's a dangerous thing to draw a line in the sand and be ready to die over your preference. You don't want to die over preference. What you want to die over is conscience. Some of us, we have a preference issue and we make a big stink out of it. We're used to, as Americans, thrusting our, press, our, our preference as our big ideal, when in actuality, that's not what we should ever die for. We should not suffer for preference. We should work with others and even compromise preference and say, okay, I'm willing to not do that. It's a classic thing. If you have a, a family and you, want to, you have a, a night where you're gonna watch a movie together, oh, if everyone goes off of preference, you'll never watch anything, why? because everyone always wants to watch something different. I mean, how does that work? What are the statistical odds of that? You know, that you have eight people and eight different options? Obviously, someone's gonna have to compromise along there, right? And then you have something known as conviction. And conviction should be rooted in the word of God, and conviction can be off. We can end up with a conscience that is a little odd, because of information that we're believing, which isn't even true. And so this is why this is such a challenging issue that we are facing. But if you have an issue of conscience, you should not do it. And so as a result, that was what the message was about, is how do we work through this as the body of Christ, knowing that there are those that are going to feel in their conscience free to get this vaccine, and already have, and there's others that feel in their conscience that they cannot, how do we work together? And how do we stand by one another? So this is a big issue. And so I've gotten all sorts of communications, but it has created a sense of instability in many people that are very strong believers right now. They feel moved, sort of like I did July 4th, 2010. I felt moved, even though I have my big bark, and I'm like, oh, I will not be moved. I just felt moved. Okay, and that's the way many of these Christians are feeling right now, probably including some of you in this room. We feel shaken and moved. So here's a Canadian friend, and this is what he wrote to me just a couple days ago. I asked him if I could share this, and uh, I said, and bless people with it, uh, and he agreed. I was physically ill from anxiety and fear for three days after hearing this news of the extreme lockdowns on unvaccinated Canadians. In Canada, it's pretty extreme, and they're moving strongly towards an idea of if you are unvaccinated, then you cannot leave your home until you are, which just follow that through. That could be 40 years. You cannot leave. And they're trying to also move in such a way where it is a statement of child abuse so they can remove your kids from you. So obviously, you have to know if this is a preference or if this is a conviction. The last thing you want is to die over a preference, right? And so it's a challenge. So he's in the middle of it, guys. That's why I'm saying if we're being shaken in our little world, you can imagine if someone who is struggling with a conscience issue over this, this is a big deal. And this is his first encounter with such an extreme decision-making process as a man of the home. 
So <clears throat> I was physically ill from hearing from anxiety and fear for three days after hearing this news of extreme lockdowns on unvaccinated Canadians. I've been waiting for the hammer to drop for the last couple of weeks. The fear tries to sneak in still, but I've been ultra-focused on my little family, taking care of them in the home, enjoying the outdoors day by day, praying, reading the word, and exercising. It's also made us so grateful for our training of reckoning God's promises ours, reckoning God's promises ours and not fearing. But I'm really struggling. I've really been wrestling with my fight or flight. There's things I want to fight, and I wanted to pack up, cross the mountains on foot with my family, and hitchhike to Windsor or Texas. Ha ha. And many of us have had similar thoughts. We're looking for an escape point. It's like, where else can I go? There's not a lot of options, you know, especially when, you know, Leslie and I used to always think of New Zealand as our, our, our getaway, right? It's like, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea now. And in other words, it's a good thing for us to recognize our retreat is not somewhere in this world, it's Jesus. It's actually a wonderful thing when every door closes and all we have is Jesus as our answer. You know, you didn't actually think by getting to Windsor, Colorado, you're going to avoid challenge, did you? Because challenge has a strange way of creeping behind you even to Windsor, Colorado, for those of you that are listening via podcast. It does. This isn't just a haven from challenge, and yet, praise God uh, for how he has cared for us here in this county and, and the way we've been able to thrive here. So I understand, but it's still not the solution. Testing the foundation. Matthew 7. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does, not, does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I feel like right now, it's not just an individual test, but it's a test of the church. What is our foundation? If our foundation is our feelings, if our, founda if our foundation is our experience as opposed to the word of God, it will prove itself out in and through this time. I already feel like that is true. And as a result, instead of fighting vigorously for the truth of Jesus Christ in our lives, we have a tendency to be passive to the culture. It's like, hey, whatever you want, I don't want to fight. We are built to stand up to challenge. That's what our house is for, so that we can endure winds and rains bravely and courageously. So if ever there was a time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and just be the church, it doesn't mean we need to be rude. It doesn't mean we need to be unfeeling or unkind. The exact opposite is true. We stand up in love, in care, in kindness, because we care about a lost and dying world instead of going into our hole. The winds and the rains reveal. So the winds and the rains, I just said it, uh, but the winds and the rains are that which proves our foundation. The nature of rock. Rock, in its very nature, is unchanging. It doesn't alter each generation to sort of comply uh, with the hikers of that generation. You know, the previous generation liked it, you know, where the rock was sort of shaped and it went up a little on this side. And the next generation comes in and looks at that rock and goes, I'm not climbing on you until you change. Well, that's ridiculous, and all of us know it. Rocks don't change. That's part of their nature. And the same is true with God Almighty. He doesn't alter. 
He doesn't evolve. He doesn't change to fit culture. If anything, culture, if it wants to survive, has to change to fit him. And so as a result, the basics of the nature of God is that he is, which means he was, he is, and he always will be the same. There's no shadow of turning in him. There's no alteration to the way he works. When he says it, even if what he said was thousands of years ago, he still means it. He is rock, and we can build upon it. And we can be strong in our confidence knowing that if he was, he is. And if he is, he always will be the same. James 1.17, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, speaking of our God. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the word of God. So what we have is something that is very, very foundational to our life. And we need to recognize that it doesn't shift. Is this the nature of your soul, our souls? This is a very important question for us to get because many of us, even though we may know that God is not changing, he is steady and always. However, we oftentimes go up and down with circumstances. So here's God in and through all circumstances, in and through all of history's circumstances, and we got a lot of major events throughout history, and he never changed. He didn't alter. He didn't adjust. And yet, here's the circumstances, and where are we on? Are we on the clear ride of stability with God, or are we going up and down with the circumstances? We're meant to be fixed to our God, which means our soul behaves like he does. This is why when the soul dreams, what is it dreaming? To have a house built in the rock, which doesn't change, which doesn't go up and down. That means even in the best of times, we don't lose our foundation, and we don't throw out God and say, oh, I don't need him anymore, but we stay fixed. And even in the worst of times, we don't go down with the, with the situation. We don't bemoan. We don't go into despair. We don't go into discouragement and depression. No, we stay strong knowing that he is faithful, that he is true, that he is always the same. And as a result, we're steady the whole time. But is this the case? So I'm going to ask you, uh, this is uh, good questions 117 instead of James 117. My soul has no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Is that true? Is that true of your soul that it has no vari uh, variableness and shadow of turning? You ever felt like you can have a really good day and then something can happen and it just sort of gets you off? And, you know, Leslie usually can tell. She has one statement, I come home and my attitude's, you know, it might not even be bad, but she can tell a little cloud above me. And she goes, what happened today? I'm like, nothing happened today. She says, no, I can tell. Something happened. That really bothers me because if something happened, I don't want to have, have a cloud over my head. I want to just walk through and be happy all the time. I want to be like this. I don't want to be like down here. I don't want her to pick up on that. I don't want my kids to pick up on that. I don't want any of you to pick up on that. I want to be steady. So I have that dream, but I also live in this human body that has a, it wants to ride the roller coaster. It's almost like I'm bent towards riding a roller coaster. This isn't normal for any of us. We have to join this ride of Jesus, and we have to stay. We have to abide in it always. So here's another good question, but this is 13.8. My soul, is it the same yesterday and today and forever? You see, this should be the constant in our life. We 
trust Jesus. I don't just trust Jesus today, but if it gets worse tomorrow, guess what? I, I, I trust Jesus. But Eric, look at what's happening. I, I trust Jesus. But there's never even been a situation like this. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. I trust Jesus. You see, we're not gonna follow the roller coaster. We are in Christ. We have built our home in the rocks. We were exceedingly wise. And if there was a time when you'd want to make sure you're building your home in the rocks, I think this would be a good time to do it. The immovable soul, fixed, fastened, and firm. Psalm 112, I love Psalm 112, six through eight. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous man shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. This is the righteous man. And you could say, well, I don't know how to be the righteous man. I could tell you. You know that the Bible describes the righteous in the new covenant. It's not because you lived perfectly righteous. It's because he did. And if you will put off your old life, if you will put off your old man and his deeds and you will repent and believe in Jesus, you are then clothed in his righteousness and you are therefore from that point forward declared righteous. Surely he shall not be moved forever. Who? The righteous. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. They shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's like the soul's dream right there. That when evil tidings come, you ever had that where, you know, there's evil tidings all over the place. You know, they're inside of television sets and they're just waiting to pop out if you accidentally turn one on. They're on the radio, just waiting to go, you know, if you turn it on. They're waiting in your friend's mouth, you know, and he's like lingering in the bushes, waiting for you to come around the corner and say, did you hear what happened today? You're like, oh, evil tidings are just everywhere nowadays. You felt that? It's like no matter where you turn around, and some people like to be the bearer of evil tidings. You ever notice that? It's like juicy piece of news that everyone needs to know. The world is coming to an end. Some people really like to be that guy, right? To discourage and to dishearten and to see how, how you're handling that piece of news there. And so it's there. It's nearby. However, what does it say about the righteous? He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. So he shall not be moved forever. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord, which means it's fastened, stable, secure, firmed, and resolute. His heart is established, which means to be braced, sustained, upheld, undergirded, and supported. He shall not be afraid. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice of being the unrighteous, or the righteous, I'm going for the righteous on this one, right? This is the no-brainer of all time. Who would want to be the opposite of that? And yet most of us have been flirting with the opposite of that. That's more of what we're familiar with in our souls than we are with the territory that God has given us. The enemy's bopping us in the nose, and God has supplied us with everything we need to be firm and fixed and established and unafraid. And yet we need to use this grip he's given us called faith, this trust that he's given us to grip that and to pick it up. 
even if it be imperfectly, and say, back off. This life is going to live according to Psalm 112. This is the way I am going to live. I'm going to be exceedingly wise like a coney. I recognize I'm a feeble folk, but I'm going to build my house in the rocks. The gospel, when the soul's dreams come true. Everything that you are natively desiring, that stability of your inner man, that, that immovable sense that you're not shaken so easily, but you can stand stalwart in the midst of winds and rains. It's a desire that we have. We don't really like collapsing and falling. I mean, maybe if we took a poll, there could be someone in here that's like, actually, I really have enjoyed uh, bouts with anxiety and, you know, terrors in the night and, you know, laying wide awake, unable to sleep because of insomnia. I really love these things. And we're like, oh, okay, I guess I didn't know that. Maybe there are people that do. My guess is that none of us actually like it. And none of us want it in our life, but we've been paralyzed feeling like it is just our lot. It is the way it must be instead of recognizing that God has supplied us with everything we need, and it's called the gospel. Believe upon Jesus Christ and move out of your sand trap into a rock. Why would we want to hang out as a feeble folk in the territory of the fool instead of fixing ourselves in something that cannot be moved forever? So, what does the gospel supply us? We enter the unshakable, immovable rock. It's called being in Christ by faith. And then, what does that afford us? Having the unshakable, immovable rock enter us. It's called Christ in us, the hope of glory. We enter Christ by faith, and that gives us access into the throne room of grace where the Holy Spirit can now enter into us. And he establishes the life of Christ within us. And what is Christ? Unshakable, immovable. So as a result, we are fortressed on the outside with Christ, and then that very strength of of him as a fortress enters into us and gives us resolve and courage and boldness. The triumphant Jesus is, just listen to this short list. The rock, Matthew 16, 18. My strong rock, Psalm 31, 2. The rock of ages, Isaiah 26, 4. The rock that is higher than I, Psalm 61, 2. My rock and my fortress, Psalm 31, 3. The rock of my strength, Psalm 62, 7. The rock of my refuge, Psalm 94, 22. A rock of habitation, Psalm 71, 3. The rock of my heart, Psalm 73, 26. The rock of my salvation, 2 Samuel 22, 47. My rock and my redeemer, Psalm 19, 14. That spiritual rock, 1 Corinthians 10, 4. A shadow from the heat, Isaiah 25, 4. A stone, Isaiah 28, 16. A living stone, 1 Peter 2, 4. A tried stone, Isaiah 28, 16. A chief's cornerstone, 1 Peter 2, 6. A precious stone, 1 Peter 2, 6. It's extraordinary. We have one who identifies himself as a rock, as someone who is unchanged. He says, build upon thee. This is where I want you to build your house. You remember the coney? That feeble guy there, that rock badger, remember him? He was exceedingly wise. Why? What did he do? Eric, do you remember what he did? Uh, Coney, I don't know much about conies. I've told you one thing about conies. What do you know about conies? Well, I don't know. They built their house in the rocks. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. That's the one thing. If you don't know anything else about conies, that's fine. But if you can get that, you have something very, very special. 
That's the one thing every single one of us needs to do is mimic the coney and build our house in the rock. The makings of the triumphant heart hidden in the unbreakable rock. So catascuno is, a, I know, big word, but it's a good one because when we think of standing strong for Jesus, you know that there's a certain trembling in our souls that we will be put to shame, okay? If I stand up and I believe for this, that God's not gonna come through. It's a strange thing. I know where it comes from. It comes from the enemy. He's like, what if he fails you? What if he doesn't come through? You see, this isn't how rock works. It's like, what if your house doesn't defend you against the five feet of snow? You see, you have more confidence in your house than you do in Jesus. Something's not right there. Catascuno means to be put to shame, to be disgraced, to have hope meet with failure. Boy, when the soul dreams, it's not dreaming of that. What's it dreaming for? That we cannot have that. And that's what scripture is actually going to say. No catascuno, never to be put to shame, never to be disgraced, and never to have hope meet with failure. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be catascuno, confounded. In other words, if your soul is dreaming that that would never happen, that you would be put to shame, well, guess what? There's a stone that's been laid in Zion, a chief cornerstone, that if you would believe on Jesus Christ, you will not have catascuno. You will not. Promise. Here's another word, moat. Sort of a funny word. To be moved, shaken, overthrown, dislodged. Eh, don't want that. When the soul's dreaming, it's not dreaming of that. No moat. <laughs> never to be moved, never to be shaken, never to be overthrown, and never to be dislodged. That's what Scripture says. Psalm 16:8. Listen to this. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moat. I shall not be moved. Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moat, to be moved. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how you're entertaining this message, but it's called rock beneath your feet. In other words, this is fact in scripture. This is promise. God can't change. When he says it, he means it. If he says it, he will do it, which means the righteous will not be moved. So, Instead of hanging out on the sand, get on the rock and know in your soul with a confidence, I will not be moved in Christ. When I rest in Christ, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. I will not be catascuno. I will not be moat. Psalm 62, five through eight. My soul, this is an incredible scripture. My soul, wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I shall not be moat. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Say law. Think about it. See, that is a message for us right now. So if you want to carry a scripture away with you today, Psalm 62, 5 through 8, be a good one. Forever surrounded. Psalm 125, 2, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. 
What a promise. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear what man can do unto us. This is reasonable thinking to someone who is in Christ. We actually conclude from the very beginning, no, I'm stable. But did you hear what's happening in the world? Well, have you heard the gospel? I mean, because the gospel gives me an assurance of the righteousness of Christ. I know that I cannot be moved. I cannot be shaken because he is not moved or shaken. And I am in him. I have built my home in the rocks. But you're a feeble folk. You're like a coney. I don't know how else to say it, Eric. I know. I know. But I've chosen to be exceedingly wise, even though I'm a feeble folk, and build my home in the rock. The reason I am not shaken is not because I am strong. It's because he is strong. The reason why five feet of snow outside negative 10 degree temperatures doesn't shake me is not because I am somehow stronger than five feet of snow and negative 10 degree temperatures and my body is just supernaturally able to push it off. It's that I have a house that is able to defend me from it. It's Christianity in a nutshell right there. He is our refuge. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Just as he surrounds Jerusalem, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, he will surround us forever. He is our armor. Shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. We have everything we need to stand firm and confident in the day of testing. Lord, open our eyes. At Ellerslie, I think in a semester, we probably reference this one story I don't know, maybe it's five to 10 times. And it's not necessarily purposeful where we're saying, okay, let's get that story out five to 10 times. It's just funny because the different speakers that come in always seem to reference it. I think it's because once you catch the value of this story, it seems to make its way up pretty quickly when you're trying to describe certain things. And that is that when you're staring at impossibilities, when you're staring at threats that is coming against you, the news is telling you that, the enemy has the upper hand. The powers of darkness are going to prevail. There is no hope for the Christians. The Christian has to have eyes to see something greater. David is not going to stare at a Goliath. I mean, what good is that going to do to say, he is huge. You don't want to stare at the hugeness of the enemy. You want to stare at the hugeness of your God who stands over Goliath and saying, hey, David, just tell me when. Just tell me when. And he squishes him like a bug. You see, Goliath has nothing on our God. And in this story, it's the Syrian army. And Elisha and his servants, just two, are surrounded by the entire Syrian army. Okay, in the natural realm, uh, how do you think they should be feeling right about now? I think if there was ever a situation where you were moved or shaken, that would be a pretty good one. And yet, this feeble folk, known as Elisha and his servant, they're a little bit like conies. Well, I should say Elisha's a little bit like a coney. His servant is a little in the sand trap in this one. And he's feeling the vulnerability. He sees the natural realm. Elisha sees something that we need to see. Second Kings 6. Therefore he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, 
Remember, his servant's in the sand trap. Alas, my master, what shall we do? Listen to this answer. This is so amazing. This is the answer I want all of us to have in our souls when the world says, what are you going to do about it? Do you see what's taking place? I mean, oh, I I don't know what's going to happen. And they start chewing their fingernails. How do we respond to it as the church? So Elisha answered and said this, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. There's two of them. Mathematically, this doesn't make any sense. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord will surround us forever. Forever is a key term in that one. It's not just for Elisha. There's a reason why this story is given to us, and so is that our eyes would be opened and that we would see that the Lord is there for us. We have not been left orphans in this situation trying to fend for ourselves. We have a heavenly Father who has given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we can live in and through whatever is up ahead with triumph, with joy, with love, with kindness, with fearlessness, unshakable, unmoved, unruffled, totally calm, marked by peace like that bug in the amber, bouncing around the room and resting, going, hmm, that was sort of fun. Five feet of snow outside, negative 10 degree temperatures, and we're sipping hot cocoa inside, singing Christmas tunes. Jesus has come. You see, we do not fear We're Christians. I say that, but that's like saying, I'm fighting off the enemy. We're Christians. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And you're like, but I've tried that. Yeah, you've tried it in your own human strength. Have you ever tried the broadsword that he's supplied for you? It's down at your ankle. Remember that one he describes in Scripture? Pick it up. Put your trust in that. Our God is able. Our God is able to make a name for himself in such a time as this. The church of Jesus Christ is sort of like a coney. It is a feeble folk. You know, by the time we've gotten to this point, you're, you're not being offended anymore me, with me calling you a feeble folk. We're just sort of accepted. All right, all right, I'm a feeble folk. It's okay to acknowledge that. In fact, you cannot be a strong folk until you recognize that you're a feeble folk. The secret of our strength as Christians is not our own resolve, our grit, our determination, our willpower, It's his victory on the cross. It's his ability to do it. And so our secret is to enter into our Christ and trust that he is able. And then we get strong because we're in the rock. And as a result, no one can tear down our home. We've become exceedingly wise like the Conies. Father, I don't want this to just be words in our lives. I want us to get rock beneath our feet as the church of Jesus Christ. I can't put it there. I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring us to a place of conviction and determination that we would have faith to believe your word and to trust it in such an hour as this. 
We are not built to flee. We are built to stand. We were not supplied with armor for the back. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to hold our ground and stand strong in this hour with confidence, with faith, and with joy. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we submit to you today. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.